You're listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs who have sold their companies and the advisors that help them. We elicit expert advice from exit planners, attorneys, merger and acquisition experts, accountants, business appraisers, and financial advisors, all with a goal of educating you about the sales process. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started a sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. And now, here's your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition. Hello and welcome. It's Noah Rosenfarb, the author of Exit Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise, and the founder of Freedom Exit Advisors. Today we have Chuck Richards. He's the CEO of Core Value Software, and Chuck has been a CEO and CFO for four startups, two turnarounds, and uh, he made the Inc. 500 list once, and he's also worked with owners of over 50 companies to build value and help them grow. And so what I'd like to do is welcome Chuck to the show and have him talk about his journey. Thanks for joining us, Chuck. Thank you, Noah. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on, be on the show. So uh, why don't you tell me first how, you know, how this journey has, has kind of come about for you with startups and turnarounds and the Inc. 500, and then we could talk a little bit about your latest project. Great. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I'm going to have to go back a number of years and uh, literally go back to when I was in elementary school. So when I was a young kid, I, I grew up in a small town in Vermont. And at the time, it was the wealthiest town in Vermont. By the time I went off to college, it was the poorest town. And so in less than a decade, this small town of, of 10,000 people lost 5,000 jobs. So I grew up in, in a world of um, of economic pain. And so when I went off to college, the, the real question that I was pursuing is, is how can that happen? How can a, a wonderful, successful, um, dynamic little town basically collapse in less than 10 years? So that became my, my, life, my life mission. Um, ended up at college and uh, was looking in through economics. I studied economics, and there, there were no answers there to that fundamental issue. Ended up uh, going to graduate school. I was at MIT, and at MIT, I was lucky enough to have uh, be working with folks who were early days of applying process engineering type thinking to business problems. Um, so we would think of the business as an engine, and you you'd say, okay, now how can I make that engine run better? What kind of process engineering algorithms uh, could we apply to to make it work better? And the uh, and we were also crossing over at the time to Harvard to the business school, and so I had dreams of being an academic, and uh, that was great until my wife informed me that you know we do have four kids and we do need to feed them, and so my 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 dreams of being an academic uh, quickly changed, and I ended up having to go out and uh, and feed my kids, and that's what led to the building of companies. So what was the and, first uh, area that you got started? How did how did you make that leap uh, into entrepreneurship? Um, it was uh, it was the classic uh, leap of faith. Uh, started by um, basically building a local business. Uh, one was a manufacturing company. Um, built it with a, a gentleman and uh, making quality control uh, equipment. 
And at the same time, I was uh, also building some a couple of uh, retail operations, and uh, out of that came more opportunities to build another manufacturing company. And so uh, I, I started building a second manufacturing company. And so one thing just kind of grew from another, from one company to the next, um, because the opportunities were there. So it wasn't like I was pursuing a, an industry or pursuing um, very specific uh, kind of a growth patterns back then. It was opportunities would pre- would present themselves, good people, good teams, and we were able to build some some very good companies. Um, were you thinking and, at all uh, about value in those early days as an as an owner? Yeah, it's it's interesting when you're using other people's money to build companies. You always care about value. So we grew up, and I say we, our teams, we were in our 20s at the time, in the early 30s, we grew up understanding that value was the measure of success. When you're using other people's money, if you're not generating ongoing value and you need more capital, you do a down round. And in a down round, the, the, man, the management team is the one that takes the hit. So we always were building company based on value. That's, that's the world we grew up in. And, and did you have well, any exits out of those early companies? We did. We exited all of them. Um, we actually, I take that back. We exited all but one. Um, and, and one of them, uh, we did exit, but it wasn't successful. We ended up, mm-hmm. uh, in essence, uh, selling it for almost nothing. But the company continued on, and someone else took it over. And uh, and so that I, there's there's times when marketplaces go left and you're going right, and... Uh, and those things happen. So out of, out of those early exits, what would you say was the most valuable thing you've carried with you and, and always want to share with owners um, based on your it, experience? It, I think the most valuable thing is that, that owners need to know is that creating value isn't a black art. It's not a mystery. That there's a structure and a process to building valuable businesses. Um, that if you if you follow structure and you follow a framework that you will be, you know, 90, 95% successful in doing it because it's not a mystery. So much of it, people think it's a black art, but it really isn't. It's, it's a process. It's a process that anybody can follow uh, if they, if they're, they care about the value of their, of their business. And sort of the most interesting thing is if you look at companies, if you look at companies that are built based on a value model, meaning the owners and the CEOs measure their success by the value of the enterprise, you get really great companies. You get well-built companies. You get valuable companies. You get all the things that owners care about. If, on the other hand, you look at businesses over the long term that are built strictly on profit maximization, saying trying to maximize the profit, what you see is in the early days the businesses grow, they flatten, and then they tend to go downhill. And the, the fundamental reason is profit is a backward-looking measure. So imagine driving down the street. If you're always just looking in the rearview mirror, that's what profit is. Ultimately, you're going to get yourself in trouble. You need to look out the windshield and look forward. Now, profit's critically important. Financials are critically important. But they're a backward-looking measure. They're not a forward-looking measure. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of owners get trapped in the um, you know, e- eating what they kill and, and uh, living a lifestyle based on their current earnings, and they have trouble reinvesting in their business. So, how do you how do you suggest owners get out of that way and look to value, which oftentimes results in the erosion of you know cash flow because you're reinvesting, 
but uh, right. there's a greater payout in the end. Well, it's it's interesting. It, it there's there's a fundamental disconnect, you know. And I hate to sound like an academic, but if you think about how we talk about business, we talk about the bottom line, we talk about profit being the measure of success. If you go to take a business uh, course class, go get your MBA. It's all about generating profit, and as long as you're profitable, quote unquote, you're you're going to be okay. And that's true if you're a public company. So our education, the way we think about business is on a public company model. Profitability does equate to value. So management for profit makes sense. But when you're a private company, there's no direct connect between being profitable and being valuable. And that's just what Noah, you just said, is people use their profits to live on. They do those things. What they don't understand, and it's because we do a poor job of communicating to business owners and CEOs, is that because you're profitable doesn't mean you're valuable. That if you make decisions to to increase your profitability over time, you may not be investing in the right things. And But at the same time, you believe you're doing fine because you continue to be profitable. Okay, So half the information that an owner or a CEO needs to operate and build a business that has value and has longevity, they don't have access to. And that's why we built Core Value, to give them that information. Yeah, so to walk me through kind of the origin of Core Value, where were you in your life and your career that spawned this idea and the motivation to create this company? Um, a couple of things are going on all at the same time. One was that I had personally done well enough to be able to pursue that problem that I grew up with, you know, how can a town collapse? So I I made it my mission and to, to follow that thread. So how could that happen? At the same time, I was noticing as I talked to more and more business owners that those who built companies based on, on value being the measure of success continued to do well over the long term. And those who were or narrowly focused on profit tended to get in trouble over the long term. So I could see there was a, a disconnect there. Um, so what I did was I started a company to work with business owners to help them build valuable businesses. And really what I learned was really simple. It's as simple as this. What happened to this little town I grew up in was that when the, the owners of these core businesses in that town, they were all the same age. So they they all went through this transfer process at the or trans the sell process at the same time. The failure of the town wasn't the fundamental failure of the businesses. It was the fundamental failure to be able to transfer those businesses to new owners. And so as I looked at the problem, I began to understand it was a transfer problem, which really means it's really simple. The businesses did not have enter, enough enterprise value. It was a value problem that was going on. So once I recognized that, I was doing two things at the same time. One was exploring how big is the problem. Because if it's a small problem, then you know you can apply sort of simple, smaller solutions. This problem is, is probably the largest economic problem this country faces. So if you think about private businesses with payrolls in this country, there are six and a half million in the US. That's about half our job base. 75% plus of those businesses are owned by baby boomers. So you're talking about four and a half plus million businesses. There's an 80 to 90% failure rate to transfer businesses 
to sell them, to move them from one owner to another, private businesses. So all of a sudden, you think about the macro effects here. You've got about half our job base going to go through a transfer or sales event in the next you know, 5 to 15 years where there's an 80 to 90% failure rate. It's a massive problem. So that was one thing I was doing, was looking at the size of the problem. So what we needed to figure out is how to help business owners make their businesses valuable in a way that made sense. At the same time, as I was telling you, I was also the advisor, or I was actually the chairman of 50 plus companies. I worked with thousands of owners. And we were, with our teams, built processes and systems that enabled businesses to become valuable, helped owners create options for their lives. And we were 95% successful. So we knew that we could build valuable businesses. The question became, how do you make that scalable so business owners could do it with their advisors? And that's the sort of the genesis of core value. So uh, have you since, you know, left advising owners or do you still have that that other business as well where you're the chairman and, and overseeing the implementation of creation of value? Uh, un- unfortunately for me, I no longer do the advisor, advising work. I made a, a conscious call five years ago to to get out of the advisory business and then build tools, basically software, for owners and advisors so that they could do the kind of work that I was doing with teams back then. And so it was a conscious effort to build something that was useful and scalable for these, you know, four and a half million plus business owners that are going to go through these events uh, in the coming years. So, and so how, had sort of an, how did you figure out that software could be the answer? Did you have it mapped in a already from your experience as a consultant? Exactly. It was a combination of being lucky enough to, to to grow up in the world of process engineering and MIT where we measure everything, we follow systems, you follow process. So I was fortunate enough to be there. I was also fortunate enough to work with, you know, literally hundreds of companies and owners kept sharing with me and working with me. So as we built new processes, what we found is they were repeatable. And once you can find a repeatable process in a in a framework, then you can begin to turn it into software that is very helpful and useful. So back then, a, a classic kind of case we would be involved with using the core value process uh, would be a company that, that wanted to sell. So there was a trucking company, and uh, I was actually the chairman of another trucking company, and the owner saw this opportunity to buy another trucking company. So we went to meet with the folks and the numbers were spectacular. Okay. So it was a smaller company. They were asking 1.5 million for this business had 1.2 million in hard assets and had earnings of over $700,000. So you look at the the numbers, you say, that's an easy deal to do. So we met with the, with the owners and we couldn't do the deal. Because we couldn't understand how they made money. We didn't understand what they did. So it turned out that these, this it was a husband and wife team who owned this company, had been trying to sell the businesses for two years, the business for two years. And they'd been trying to sell for two years because one of them was sick and uh, they needed to, to move on with their lives. Now, they had plenty of money. Money was not the issue. 
What they didn't want to do is they had over 20 employees. They didn't want to have the the jobs go away. It was a small town. They believed in the company. They believed in the jobs. They believed in all that stuff. So we were the 33rd company to show up with a, a serious interest in buying them. And what so they learned basically what I did as chairman, and they called me a couple of weeks later, and they said, listen, can you help us? Can you help us save the jobs? Can you help us move this company to a new owner for all the right reasons? And we find owners almost universally care. Obviously, they want to be successful. Obviously, they care about you know their families and making sure they have a good life, but they also care deeply about their businesses. They care deeply about their communities and their employees, and that's what these people do. Um, so we had a discussion with them, and we went through the core value process. Uh, three months later, we had an all-cash offer on the, the table for $2.1 million. Ultimately, they sold the company within the year for just under $3 million because they took terms. So the ability to help business owners communicate to the outside world the value of their business is the essence of what core value does. So uh, maybe walk me through a couple of other case studies. I mean, that's very powerful to go into a, an unsaleable business where there's 20 employees and n- not only double the value that the owners had hoped to receive, but also make it saleable. So that's, you know, th- I think that's what a lot of our listeners are looking to do for their clients. It's it's one of the goals that I have in working with owners. And I think for the owners that listen to our show, you know, they're very interested in how to create more value in their company, how to create transferable value. So tell me a few more stories. Sure. Um, So uh, this would be a a manufacturing company. And again, um, called in to help them because they had an offer on the table that they turned down. So manufacturing, again, it was a smaller manufacturing company. Um, The owner had something they wanted to do. Young guy. You know, he was in his late 30s, had been very successful. Um, He was ready to move on to something else. And so he put the company on the market. Someone came in. They made him an offer. The price was just fine. Not a problem with the price. Went into due diligence. And in due diligence, the, uh, the, uh, the person who made the offer came back and said, listen, no problem. We're going to keep the price just as it is. There's just one hook. And as anyone who does deals knows, there's always at least one hook. And the one hook was this, that uh, they would pay him, but he had to stay for, for two years and run the business. And, and he goes, but wait a minute now. I, I'm, I don't want to run the business. I'm selling it so I can move on to whatever I want to do. And so it was at that point, he turned down the offer, and uh, they, he was brought to us. And again, we went in and looked at the business. <clears throat> again, nice business, but again, the inability to communicate to the outside world how the business ran because it totally relied on this owner. Okay, The owner was the octopus who had their hands on everything, and a new buyer didn't know how to be the same octopus. So they, that's why the deal had that hook in it. So we, we went through the core value process. Again, about three months later, they got an offer for the business which was double the previous offer, okay, with no hooks. And that was great. The funny part was the owner said, well, geez, you know what? I really don't want to sell my business now. I'm really having fun. I haven't enjoyed my business this much, you know, in years. And he said, so I want to run the business for a while more. 
because he was selling partially to go to do something new and partially because the business wasn't as much fun as it used to be. And it was, it was a problem in his life. Well, he ran it for a year. And at the end of that year, he decided that personally he was ready. He was going to sell it for the right reasons. And he sold it to this same group for double what he, what he had originally been offered. And he walked away to his new life. And that's a pretty standard story for business owners, meaning most of them have something else they want to do in their lives, um, but they want the option to do it when they choose to do it. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's also a very powerful story. And I think um, one of the things I, I heard in that um, has been resonated by a lot of our guests, uh, Matthew Geronimo and Josh Patrick come to mind, where we're talking about the documentation of the owner's role within the company. So can you describe, you know, how how you see that manifesting in the case studies and, and the clients that you're working with? Yeah. Um so I'm gonna I'm gonna step back again just to go a little bit deeper so people understand sort of how this can happen. Because when they hear stories they go, that's great, but geez, can I do that? Could this really happen in my business? And I want to assure people that it can. So if you think about the business as an engine, the output of that engine is revenue and profit. And we measure that very effectively thanks to GAAP, which is a set of standards and a set of financial statements that generate those two fundamental numbers. The problem is those are backwards-looking numbers. What we pioneered at Core Value was the ability to measure how good is that engine, how strong is that engine. Because that's what somebody's buying. They're buying the engine, the, the ability of that engine to generate future revenue and profit. So what core value does is measure the strength of that engine. And the way we do it is, is really elegant. Okay. So if you, we took the same structure that you do on the financial side and moved it to the operating side. Said, so, okay, we need a set of standards. We pioneered a set of private business standards. Out of that came 18 drivers of value. And with those 18 drivers of value, we can measure how strong that engine is, and we can generate a single number called the core value rating from 0 to 100. If it's a low number, it's not a very reliable engine, it's not very strong, and thus it's not very valuable. If it's a, up towards 100, towards a higher end, that means it's a very strong and reliable engine, and people will pay for that engine. And But the beauty of having the single number, not only does it tell you how valuable your engine is, but because we've measured against 18 drivers, you can say, well, which driver is broken? Which one, which one do I fix? So you can now prioritize. And so it becomes a framework for a business owner and an advisor not only to work together to make the engine stronger, but also to communicate to the outside world. Now, that could be that they want to go to a bank and, and, and get a loan. It may be they want to sell the company. It may be that they want to do an acquisition. It may be that they want to transfer it to their children. At the end of the day, if you have a well-run engine and you can communicate that to the outside world, then you have options. And that's really what most business owners want, are the options to do whatever it is they choose with their lives. So that's how core value works. It's elegantly simple. Now, what I want people to think is it's simplistic, which means below those 18 drivers, there's two more levels. There's a level that you're able to look at each driver down three to seven pieces. And underneath that, there's a third level called due diligence. The, and we would really call it track, but it's really the due diligence level. So 
it's a very deep, rich, powerful system, but you can start with it at a very easy level to understand your engine. And so the, these diagnostics, the, the you know the software, obviously, which is a diagnostic tool. Who who are the who are the users of that, and then who's implementing the advice that comes out? Um, what we've learned again over the years have being advisors that the best outcomes happen when when business owners and CEOs work with outside advisors. Um, we know that to be true. So what we've created is a tool that they can use together. The, it enables the business owner, it's the business owner's tool. I mean, they have control of it. They control the whole thing, but it enables them to work directly with a business owner. I mean, excuse me, with an advisor to work on the business. But we measure it. Everything is based on an ROI. This goes back to my MIT roots, is that with core value, you'll know what your business is worth today. You're going to know what it could be worth if it was the engine was better run. So you're going to come up with not only the, the enterprise value today, but potential enterprise value in the gap between the two. And what's really exciting to me is again, we collect a lot of data, is the average business has a 26% value gap. Think of it as the amount of money you would leave on the table if you went to do to sell your company today or the amount that the new owner would be able to capture if they fixed it. So 26%. On our system, we have over almost $3.5 billion worth of enterprise value. So we have a lot of statistics to, to back this up. But 26% is the average number. The average business in the system has almost $3 million gap. The other thing that, so we get that. The second thing that I find is really exciting is that 44% of that gap can be captured by just fixing five things. If you fix the five um, weakest drivers, you're going to, on average, capture 44% of that gap. Now, how you fix it is where a business owner and advisor work together. That's the Josh Patricks of the world. They're excellent at being able to do that kind of stuff. And I'm sure that you are too. So that's, then now you can measure the ROI uh, on the work. There's, there's also a third piece of the puzzle that's important. Is that we also track things called red flags. Red flags are things that can exist inside a business that can negate all the value. So a classic red flag would be litigation. Certain kinds of litigation means that your business has no value. So we track red flags, things that can negate all the value. 73% of the businesses on this system have red flags. So I think about three quarters of the businesses have red flags. And that ties back to some of the, the numbers that we see we talked about earlier on the failure rate to transfer business. Well, if 73% of businesses have red flags, guess what? The chances of them transferring are at risk. Because we identify them and because we, we actually know exactly what they are, so does the owner. The business owner says, oh, these are the red flags and I need to fix those. And the number one red flag is what I talked about earlier, which is the, we call it the do-it-all business owner or the octopus, which simply means that most of the business's processes and systems are reside in the owner's head. The owner has to do everything. They touch everything. Okay. And so a business is fundamentally unsaleable if it resides in the owner. 
And what would you say are the other, you know, two most popular either red flags or, or drivers of the value gap? Um, the sort of the the other one that we see um, again on the driver side, sales and marketing is one of the top red is one of the top weak places. And when I talk about sales and marketing as a driver, uh, I'm not talking about you know they got good salespeople or how much revenue they have and how fast it's growing. I'm talking about systems and process. What we care about on a driver called sales and marketing is we care. Not that they have hotshot salespeople, but that they have systems and process so they can bring in new salespeople so that it isn't a mystery how they sell. Okay, So it's about process and systems. And that's important because think about the new the person who might buy or who might lend money or provide capital to that business. They want to make sure that that future revenue is, is assured in some way. And the only way you can assure future revenue is to have process and systems in place that deliver it. So that's an example of, of how we think. Now, another classic red flag is financial. Again, same issues. It's not about having good numbers. It's about being able to deliver accurate information to outside sources and insights and internally. And so that's a, a, a weak driver that we see. And a, a third one, which is almost always there, is called barriers to entry. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to have a great business, but if indeed someone can enter your market, you know, easily, quickly, and cheaply, then you don't have a very protected business and someone who would really question whether they should buy it because there's no protection to that business. Now, barriers to entry can be very simple things. For a retail store, it could be they have the, the great location. Right? A great location is a barrier to entry. If you're a manufacturing company, it can be processes that are, are trade secrets. It could be a patent. So there's lots of ways of protecting businesses from outside competition. But in general, business owners don't think about those things because it's sort of that's the world they live in, but they need to think about those things. So... um the, the market that, you know, the owners that I'm typically dealing with have companies where, you know, call it 20 to $100 million in value. And, you know, I found that the value gap for them is quite substantial. And then, you know, obviously when you multiply something by 20%, by $20 million, they become really meaningful numbers and, and there's some motivation. Uh, have you found on your system that it doesn't matter the size or scope of the business, there's still, you know, pretty consistent value gap? Yeah, the the percentage is very consistent, but you're correct. the 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 absolute number is significantly different. <laughs> I mean, a a 26% value gap on a 50 million dollar company, you know, is, is quite large, right? I mean, you're you're up to 13 million, and if you're dropping down, but everything's relative. You know, what we find is that the value gap is an absolute motivator, but once the a, a business owner in their teams can begin to quantify the gap, begin to have a framework to look at operationally their business, it motivates them because now they can prioritize what to do first. We have yet to see an owner and a team not be able to generate huge returns on their investment using, the, using that framework. Literally, we haven't seen any. And the reason is not necessarily because of core value. It's because we find that owners and their teams of private businesses are goal-oriented. 
once you help them understand that this is the goal and this is the objective, you know, 99.9% of the time, they achieve it. In fact, they tend to overachieve <laughs> on those goals. So our job, I see from core value, provide framework and quantify in numbers and help them sort of prioritize what to do next. So we answer the what and the why question for them. The how they do it is answered by the advisor, someone like yourself and others, and say, okay, here it is. Let's just say it's a sales and marketing issue. We need to bring a, a new process, a new system. We need to really start by documenting this thing. Well, how do we do that? And that's where advisors come in and say, well, geez, I've helped document 10 systems, or I know an expert who can help document systems. We can get that done very quickly. And here's how we do it. So if you take sort of all that internal knowledge uh, desire, experience, and expertise, and you link it with external, you know, a, a, a trusted advisor, you get amazing results. Have so, you been able to, to distinguish between the results from different types of advisors that license your software? You know, the, um, the accountants versus the M&A guys versus the exit planner, the insurance people. What we're finding is interesting. The a, a good general business advisor, you think of as a management consultant, um, someone who really cares about the business, number one, who's in their DNA, they like to build things, and in, in their DNA, they like to work with other people. If that's who they are, they do amazing things with core value because they use the tool the way it should be used. Where they live, meaning where they work, is almost independent. There's a lot of them in, in CPA firms. They, they live in, they, some of them are exit planners, some of them are insurance people, some of them are bankers. They, they exist in almost all the professions. It's really about what do they want to do? How do they see their role relative to um, the business community? That's more important to success than it is exactly where they, the, where they sort of hang their hat. Yeah. And, and, uh, so maybe you could, before we wrap up, tell us a, a couple of other stories of how, what what did Core Value identify in terms of the software side? What did the advisor do as a result? And what was the benefit to the owner? Sure. Um, so we had a, one of our, our advisors um, had a, a company, and again, that had an offer and the offer was pulled back. So they use core value with this business. Now, it's, it would fall in your sweet spot. It's about a $35 million uh, business. And so they ran core value. The enterprise value number that core value gave the advisor and the owner was within a few hundred thousand dollars of the offer. Now, we're talking a $35 million offer, which is great. The thing that was more exciting and interesting to the owner was the fact that it highlighted three, maybe four red flags. And they were the exact reason that the offer was pulled. They, 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 they looked at the red flags and they looked at why the offer was pulled. And so also they go, oh, now I get it. And now they knew what they needed to do to fix it. And so, again, uh, this was a young owner in, in his 30s. And he was selling it because he felt the business was out of control and that he didn't have the tools to really take the business to the next level. And so this advisor said, listen, here's the things we need to take it to the next level. So they have, they no longer have decided to sell the business. They're now building the business. 
And last I heard, it had, it was still growing at 30, 20, 30, 40 percent a year, and and very profitable. And again, it it brought them the framework in which to do it. Now, when they will sell, who knows? But as this owner has said to us, we now have the option to sell if we choose. We don't choose to right now. We we choose to build the business. And that's the perfect outcome, I think, where people can work together. And then we had a, another one, which I find is interesting. And again, this is a, an advisory firm up, up in Canada. And uh, they have been using it, uh, core value for a fair number of years. And they literally their very first client was an insurance company. And the the gentleman came in and said, you know, I just want to run a better company. Can you help me build a better company? I don't have any desire to sell it. I just want to understand what it takes to build a valuable business. And so they did. They've used they used core value as the starting point, and they've been building successfully ever since. This fall, about two months ago, they got an unexpected offer from somebody to buy the business. And the, the, the offer came because they were doing a roll-up. And we all know what roll-ups are, that people come in and they want to buy a whole bunch of companies within an industry. And so a roll-up is a great place to sell into because they tend to pay a little bit of a premium, almost a strategic price for that business. And so he got a strategic offer for his business. And, and they actually paid him a lot more than he ever expected because they wanted to use his business as the core of the roll-up. And so he did the deal. He actually did the deal. He sold it, he kept a percentage of the business, and he's still working there. And now it's a significantly bigger business that he's running and enjoying. But as he said to their advisor, he said, I never would have had the opportunity if I hadn't been ready. He said, the bus came by and I was ready. And I can't thank you enough for making sure I was ready when the bus came by. Right. Yeah, well, I think that's the message a lot of us try and uh, share with owners. <laughs> you got to be ready when they come by because if you miss it, uh, who knows when the next stop's going to be. Um, yeah. But the, uh, the the other thing is, let's go back to what you said in the beginning about, you know, a lot of business owners run their business uh, at a hip pocket national bank, meaning they live off the proceeds, they live a good life and all those things, and that's good. I find two things. If you talk to business owners in general, yes, they're living a good life. But they're always worried, right? They're always a little concerned. They wake up at 2 in the morning. There's just something fundamentally that worries them. And the fundamental worry is quite straightforward. They know that the business relies on them. They know it's not a very reliable engine. And so they worry about that, but they don't know what to do. But what we find is pretty exciting is that if you run a business based on value, guess what? It'll be bigger, so it's going to grow faster. It's going to generate more revenue. And by the way, it's going to generate more profit because it's a better engine. It's a better run business. It's, it's more fun to run. It's less demanding, has more opportunities. So if you focus on value, you will get profitability and growing profitability and growing revenue because that's the outcome of building a strong business. If, on the other hand, you look in the rearview mirror and you just look at profit, the long-term prognosis for that business is not very good. And that's where the discomfort comes in. And that's why business owners in general are uncomfortable because they know something's not quite right. So for for people on the call that deal with, you know, the 
lower, you know, small small family-owned businesses, you know, retail stores in their local town, you know, two hundred fifty thousand to two million dollars revenue. Is this helpful? Yes. Yeah, we've. Um, the one thing about uh, core values, given our sort of our roots, research roots and experience roots, is we have worked across all industries with the system and the product. Um, and in essence, size ranges from about $100 million down. Now, we've done a fair number of businesses, over $100 million in revenue, um, but most of the businesses we work with are $100 million in revenue and down. But we've done a lot of work with smaller businesses. You know, as you said, there's a one we did just literally around the corner, $250,000 uh, half-time employee retail business. They found as much value in it as do the bigger companies because it gives them a better way to understand the operational side of their business and to run it and to prioritize what they do. And it works just as well for a small firm as it does for a big firm. So if there are advisors on the call that are interested in learning more or owners that are looking for someone that has access to this software, what, what should they do? How would, how would you like them to reach out? Uh, very simple thing. Go to our website. It's called corevaluesoftware.com. Lots of information there. Um, they can sign up for a free trial. They can go out and, and connect us there. Um, they're welcome to, you know, our phone number is right there, and I would give it to you, except I can't remember it. <laughs> It's 800-640-1848. There you go. Um, and they're welcome to email me, um, crichards at corevaluesoftware.com. Um, we're working with, as I said, lots of advisory firms from big to small, and we're working on a lot of, um, of projects to deliver data back to owners and to advisors so that they can you know, get smarter, quicker, better. That's great. Well, I appreciate the work that you're doing and the – talent and dedication it's uh i'm sure taken to create something that could help all of us in this industry help owners grow and succeed and achieve their goals what what else would you like to share with our listeners before we say goodbye chuck uh, i think that the one thing i want to share is, is what i said earlier this that creating valuable building a strong business is not a black art it really isn't it, it's about having a a way of looking at a business, about having a framework, being able to measure things. And that, to me, is the most exciting part of this whole thing. As I said at the beginning, this is a very big problem. It's six and a, you know, six and a half million businesses that are going, going to go through this because they're the private businesses. They, they are the engine of our economy. But by providing the owners and the CEOs with a framework and a tool, we can begin to fix this problem. But it really is you know, one company at a time. That's why business owners saying, geez, I'm interested. And we have very elegantly simple ways for business owners to try this. They don't have to jump into the deep end. They can put their toe in the water by using core value engage. You know, it's not going to cost them anything. Just try it. It's the ability to provide the tools to people like yourself and other advisors and to business owners means I think we can solve this problem. The critical thing that we've also learned is if you make companies valuable, they generate jobs. So we don't have enough data sets to, to give you the exact percentages, but we know that when you transfer a business effectively and correctly from one owner to another, 
It can be from, you know, a generational transfer from a, a husband and a wife to their children. It can be to a new owner, to an ESOP, whatever. What we know is this, is that in the transfer, the companies tend to slow down a little bit, but then they pick back up. That if you transfer companies well, you get job generation. And it's because the new owners bring in new experiences, new technologies, new ideas, new energy. And so you can re-energize a business in the changeover. And so if you think about what this country, in fact, other countries are going through, Canada's going through the same thing, Europe's going through the same thing. In the transfer, this generational transfer, we can actually re-energize our economy. We can actually make things in this country better and in other countries better because we have new energy inside of private businesses that will generate jobs. Well, that's great stuff. I, I admire your vision and share it as well. And I appreciate you taking the time to uh, speak with our audience today. For those of you that enjoy listening um, and have someone in, in your office, in a, a client's office, in a, a different town that might find value to the stuff that we talk about here at the Exit Strategy Podcast, please be sure to share it with a friend. And we hope you join us again soon. Thanks for listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started the sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. If you have any questions about today's podcast, you can contact your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition at 855-540-0400. Please be sure to rate us on iTunes and give us your feedback. Until next time, this is the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast.